to the last book in God's Word, Revelation chapter 21, is where we begin our time together tonight, picking up where we left off last week. If you were with us, we went through the first eight verses, and we want to finish the rest of chapter 21 tonight with verses 9 through 27. And uh, kids, as I, as I read the passage, you want to take note of a few different things, not least of which is the stones, these precious gemstones that are said to mark off this heavenly and holy city that's coming down from above. And perhaps as I read them, you might think about children, why it is that God has lined his city with such gemstones. But let me begin verse 9 and read all the way through the end of the chapter. So listen now as God speaks to you through his word. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and gates with twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, the three gates. On the north, the three gates. On the south, the three gates. and the west, the three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod in twelve hundred stadia. And the length and width and height are all the same. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's follow the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again together. Father, we do ask that you would help us in the midst of perhaps our weakness at the end of a day, perhaps a day full of worship a day full maybe of difficulty and distress, that you would comfort us, that you would communicate to us the many blessings and benefits that are ours in Jesus Christ, that you would raise our gaze toward the new creation to come. 
The day is dawning when all sadness will be wiped away. Death will be no more. Tears will be removed. And we will see our King in the fullness of his beauty. Give us but a glimpse, Lord. We pray a a true glimpse of that glory and beauty tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but the longest flight I ever I traveled on was a direct flight from DFW to Dubai. I was going with a group of people to uh, do some mission work down in Africa. And the way that the flight schedule sorted out, we flew directly from DFW to Dubai and then had to stay in Dubai overnight before we were going to pick up the morning flight that was going to take us further south. And that flight is just about 15 hours long. And so by the time we arrived in Dubai and got through the airport and kind of out of customs, everybody was incredibly exhausted. And here I was as the team leader, just ready to go to the hotel and plop down on my bed and sleep for 12 hours in a row and get up in the morning to go to where we had to go next. But everyone on the team was like, I've never been in Dubai before. Let's go see the city. And so up we got and we went and got on the metro and I began to go throughout the city to the mall and a market to find some local fare. We even made our way over to the Burj Khalifa, which some of you know is one of the tallest buildings in the entire world. We were on this scene, the sights tour of this city that had captivated everyone's attention. And in a similar way, what we get at the end of Revelation chapter 21 is an angel is going to take you, your heart by the hand, if you will, tonight, and take you yet again on another scenic tour of a another city, one that's to come, one that I do trust even this evening in some small way will gather your attention, arrest your affection. Because if you were with us last week, we, we noticed the first eight verses of chapter 21, this new heavens and the new earth that's coming, where God is going to dwell with his people, where he's going to reverse the curse of sin, and all things are going to be made new. And we continue on, and it'll stretch into next week as well, Lord willing, this ongoing vision of heaven, the new creation, a dwelling place of God with his people for all eternity. And some of you might be familiar with these books that have come from Christian publishers in recent decades that you might call heavenly tourism as a genre. And they tend to be these stories of people that have had near-death experiences, and have supposedly been to heaven during that near-death experience, and they've returned to earth to write down everything that we need to know about heaven, things that you may have never heard before, things that you want confirmed, and perhaps you're wondering about. And if you've ever read any of those books, what you realize is the vast majority of what is in those books is all just speculation and imagination untethered from biblical interpretation, but at one level, what you want to do is be thankful that there seems to be, due to the best-selling nature of these books, a genuine interest in what heaven, what the new creation is going to entail. And that's a good thing, because I hope you're interested in what the new creation is going to entail. But at the same time, too, what you need to recognize is that so often, even in better books on heaven, they can likewise be untethered from what the Bible says about God's new creation to come. Trying to answer questions that really the Bible doesn't answer. Because you might be encouraged too. What you find along the way in these final chapters in Revelation is in many ways what God is doing. He's tying everything up that has come in his scheme of revelation from the book of Genesis. 
He's putting it all back together, what sin has broken apart. And so what you get are key themes, key truths, repeated over and over and over in these passages. Truths that you can understand. Because, of course, kids, if God was to tell you what heaven was truly going to be like, what the new creation would actually entail, I promise you, you couldn't handle it. It'd be so great beyond your comprehension that it wouldn't make any sense. And so what you see tonight is John is grasping for images, once again, to explain the unexplainable, to describe the indescribable. This city that's going to come down from heaven. And what I want you to see along the way are two simple truths. We'll get to more by the end, but at least by way of dividing the text. I want you to know this about the holy and heavenly city that's to come down from above in the final day. First, glory is there. Number two, God is there. That's what I want you to see tonight. Glory is there and God is there. Verse 9 tells us, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, if you keep your finger there and just flip back to chapter 17, verse 1 What we just heard in chapter 21 sounds eerily familiar because it's there we're told in chapter 17 that one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. So remember, Revelation is this tale of two cities. Students, even here at the very end, God is concerned to make sure you're aware of the truth that there's no neutrality when it comes to your understanding and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can belong to either one of two cities. You can follow either one of two women is what Revelation is saying. The great harlot that is Babylon, the world, in all its counterfeit splendor. Of where you can follow the real truth, the bride, heavenly Jerusalem, the wife of the Lamb. You can belong to the city of man or the city of God. You can belong to Babylon or Jerusalem. And you'll see once again, when we think about glory is there, verse 9 is telling us that the glory of the new creation belongs to the union and communion between God and his people. Now, we said that last week, but it bears repeating again. Because if you glance back to what we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 21, as we got this news, you see in verse 2, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, the exact same language in our text tonight, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there was the preparation of the bride last week, this bride that is both people and place in the new creation. Now it's the presentation of the bride in verse 9. Come, I will show you the bride. But for the first time in this passage, we find out fully who the husband is. We've gotten to know who the wife is quite intimately in recent weeks. But now we're told what we've known all along, that the husband of this bride, the groom of this one, is none other than the Lamb, who, of course, in Revelation, children, you know, is Jesus Christ himself. And so the glory of the new creation resides in part in the fact that it's the perfect union and communion between God and his people. Because, of course, what does the Apostle Paul tell us in Ephesians chapter 5? But marriage, it's union and communion. It's a holy mystery And he says, I'm telling you about Christ and the church. I'm telling you about the Lamb and His bride. That kind of intimate communion is part of the great glory that belongs to the new 
a creation. But also what belongs to the glory of the new creation is its beauty and immensity. Look at verse 10 as it continues into verse 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when we started our readings in Ezekiel of this great temple vision that concludes the book, uh, verse 10 is echoing that language from Ezekiel where God took that prophet, that servant, to another mountain where he saw a temple, a dwelling place of God with his people. In the same way, now John is being taken to a mountain. He's not seen one out there. He's seen one up there coming down. This is a dwelling place where God is going to be with his people, telling us in large part that all these measurements we keep seeing in our readings in Ezekiel on Sunday evenings is symbolically pointing us to the ultimate reality of the new heavens and the new earth. We're not meant to take it literally, but symbolically. You'll, you'll see that if, again, you look at verse 11, that it's radiance. This glory of God was like it's a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Now, kids, I don't know how well you know the colors of jewels. I certainly really didn't before this week. And I'm told that jasper is a color of gold. It's kind of like this mustard yellow. Now, if you look at the English translation, you'll say, well, that's kind of proving out the symbolism because there's no such thing as jasper that's clear as crystal. Can't look through it. But actually, the word that is translated there is actually a different word than kind of clear as you can see through it. It's got this sparkling, brilliant-like reality to it, such as the beauty of God. And we'll come back to verses 12 through 14 in a second. But skip down to verse 15 through 21. You scan your eyes there, and you see again the glory of God in the new creation belongs to beauty and immensity. If you wanted to know how immense, according to this passage, is the new creation, just notice verse 16. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12 stadia. Now, if your Bible's a good one, you probably have some footnote right there next to stadia because you don't know how long 12,000 stadia actually is. So it's something like 1,380 miles long. Now, let's begin to put that into perspective. 1,380 miles long, the text says. 1,380 miles wide, the text says. 1,380 miles high, the text says. Higher, of course, than many of the satellites orbiting the earth this night. If you kind of combine those numbers together, here's a simple way to show you the immensity of the new creation, which again, is all these numbers are communicating to us. City of McKinney, something like 63 square miles. According to these measurements, God's city that's going to come down at the end of the age, something like 1.5 million square miles. Very gargantuan. Because, of course, all of creation is God's dwelling place with his temple. There's not one place left on earth when the new creation returns where God is not in his beauty and immensity dwelling with his people. You see, if you scan your eyes, of course, through verse 18, through 20, all of these 12 stones lifted off, uh, listed off once again, underscoring the beauty of this city, the incredible brilliance and color of this city. It's important to note that eight of these 12 stones you would have found on the high priest's breastplate in the Old Testament, these stones that marked off the 12 tribes of Israel, these stones on which the names of God peoples, God's people were on the heart of the high priest, once again pointing us to 
His dwelling place is with his people. You see verse 21, 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I promise you, there's nothing like it that you've ever heard of this side of heaven. But perhaps the better way to illustrate what you're meant to see and how you're meant to respond to this kind of a text and teaching about glory is there. Let's consider once again this metaphor of a wedding. You've been, many of you, to weddings before and you get to that point in the service where the minister who's officiating is standing up at the front with the groom. The bridesmaids and the groomsmen are, are lined out accordingly. It gets silent. Everyone's seated. And then, of course, what does the minister do? He raises his hands. Everybody stands up. And what do they do? They turn around and look at the back of the room. Because doors fly open. In comes the bride prepared for the groom. And what do most of the wives in the room do? They lean into their husband and say, Isn't she gorgeous? Isn't she gorgeous? This people in place that God has prepared, of course, for his son. Glory is there. But you want to know, it's not just belonging to the beauty and immensity, this presence of God with his people. You see verse 12 and 14 is talking about the final fullness of God's people as part of the glory. You see verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the 12 gates were angels. And at the gates, names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. Skip down to verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This 12 plus 12 equaling 24. We've said so often in Revelation representative of the fullness of God's people. Not one single person left behind in the new creation. Glory is there. Now I want to show you in the final few verses, verse 22 through 27, God is there. One of the greatest Scottish theologians that you could ever read is a man named Samuel Rutherford. He lived in the 17th century. And his works continue to be reprinted and read throughout the world, not least because he was just this incredibly profound thinker. But in many ways, I tend to think that ordinary Christians still read Samuel Rutherford because he was not just a profound thinker, but a deep feeler. Because throughout the centuries since his death, it's been very common, particularly in English-speaking countries, of course, that you would find Christians throughout those countries often having a volume of Rutherford's letters tucked next to their bed, or perhaps it was tucked next to their reading spot where they would read God's Word throughout the day, in the morning, or in the evening. And one of the letters that he wrote, February 4th, 1638, was addressed to these Christians in Ireland at the time that were undergoing hardship and persecution for their faith. John writing Revelation to Christians at the time, undergoing hardship and persecution for their faith. And Rutherford, as he was wont to do early on in that letter, he immediately turned his attention to heaven. And Rutherford, as he was wont to do, immediately took his meditation on heaven to think about Jesus Christ. Well, listen to what he says. For if it were possible that heaven, even ten heavens, were laid in the balance with Christ, I would think the smell of his breath above them all. Sure as I am that he is by far the best half of heaven, even he is all heaven. 
And that's what I want you to see as we notice three final things from the last portion of our text. Jesus Christ, in the fullness of his glory and beauty and majesty, he is heaven for God's people. And I want you to see it in three final things. First, in the new creation, you will enjoy God's presence. Look at verse 22 and 23. John says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, that's a profound problem that sin has brought into the world, is how can God dwell with the sinful people? All throughout the Bible, all throughout redemptive history, everything is working to the climax when God's dwelling place, His tabernacle, Jesus Christ, arrives finally so that He might be with His people. And so it's true now that the text tells us throughout the New Testament that we as God's people, the church, are being built up into a dwelling place for Jesus Christ by the work of the Spirit. But it's not fully and finally here until the new creation arrives. There's no need for a temple, for God is there. There's no need for a tabernacle, because Jesus Christ is there. If you glance back even to verse 15 and 16, what you know is the measurements of this city, they they equal a cube. Do you know of something else that was constructed as a cube in the Bible? It was the Holy of Holies, right there in God's temple. That place where only one person, once a year, could ever go in to God's presence. And now, all the earth, all the universe is the Holy of Holies. No darkness, no danger. For the Lamb is the lamp, which makes all the sense of the world. Why, when Jesus comes into the world, he is the light of the world. In him, it was the light of life, is what we're told. We will enjoy God's presence. Number two, we will enjoy God's peace. Enjoy God's peace. Verse 24 through 26. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it glory and the honor of the nations. It pictures these open gates, nations coming and coming into the eternal dwelling place of God with people. But I would want to focus your attention on verse 25. There are gates. But kids, do you see what those gates don't do? They don't shut. You'll never hear that in the new creation. Now, when would you shut gates? At night. And why would you shut Gates to keep the enemies out. There is no night. There will be no shut gates in the new creation. What is it saying? All God's enemies are finally and fully vanquished. Open up the gates. Let God's people in. Let them see the light of the Lamb. For peace finally rules and reigns everywhere. Presence, peace, Of course, you see, finally, purity. Look at verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. As always, when you come to a meditation on heaven and God's word, it gets to a point where you realize that some will see it. Some won't see it. 
Here it's the language that you saw throughout Revelation, this idea of purity. Only those who are pure will be invited, welcomed into the new creation. And who are the pure ones but those who have washed their robes spotless white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb? I'm sure some of you can remember times in which your children were perhaps playing outside. They got muddy and dirty. And then, of course, depending on your child, they came inside and flung the mud about the rest of the house without any concern whatsoever. But you might have one that comes in and stands, doesn't move, saying, Mommy, Daddy, I have to get clean. Of course, that's the spiritual state of all people, isn't it? Stained black. Because of sin. I have to get clean. Why? Because I want to see him. And how are you going to see him? Washing your robe white. In the blood of the lamb. His purity is yours. If you receive him by faith alone. So when you come to the new creation. You know actually three things. Or certainly the text is driving you to consider three things. One. Glory. Is there. Two, God is there. Three, a question Will you be there? Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would give us the heart of holiness that longs to see the King in his beauty, that your presence, your peace, your purity would indeed be our delight and pursuit. Lord, we pray that even last week and this week and in the coming Lord's Day evening, that our meditations on the new creation would stir within us great comfort. Stir within us new power and energy for perseverance through difficulty. For we can last knowing that the fight has already been fought. The battle has already been won. Such precious promises are ours in Jesus Christ. And of course, Lord, we do pray that you would hasten the day when that city would come down from above, that we might dwell with you forever. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.